Hello and welcome to the Visible Man podcast. I'm Jack Rollins, the producer for the show. Today's episode comes from a live talk in collaboration with Victory Mindset, presented by hypnotist, speaker, author, coach, and entrepreneur Anthony Fiano, titled A Man's Relationship with Himself. In it, Anthony gives men a step-by-step process that will help them better their relationship with themselves internally, which will then help them in all areas of their lives externally. Anthony leads the talk for around 40 minutes. He then opens it up to the live VM Discord audience for a Q&A. Before we begin, we want to remind you that this show and its contents are for education and entertainment purposes only. If you need professional help of any kind, seek out the appropriate professional in your area. Enjoy. Thanks for having me, everyone. I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, Visible Man is a is just getting started. It, the potential and the community that's already built. I'm just very happy to be a part of it. So thank you for having me here. I appreciate the intro. Um, not much to say about that. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I am. Uh, let's see. I'm a single father, three kids, raising them. Uh, on my own, ages 17, it's my daughter, uh, 15 and 10. So uh, I will say that this talk is uh, a lot of these lessons and a lot of these things don't just come from material that's already out there, but this is a life experience uh, development thing. I'm 43 years old and anyone who knows me knows that I've learned the hard way in life. That is not bad if you learn. So I'd like to share some information um, about something I feel is it's not overlooked, but we get it in chunks and we catch pieces of it. But let's talk about a man's relationship with himself and why that's important, because we get a lot of information from society, from families passed down. Um, There's just so much information coming in. And how does it apply to you? Even tonight, a lot of what I'll say, you'll have to customize to fit your life or who you are. It's not necessarily a one size fits all, but it's more something to think about. And and if it appeals to you and you want to apply it, make sure you do it in a way that's authentic to you and authentic will come up a lot. So in a talk about um, being aware of the relationship you have with yourself, we have to start out with knowing yourself. Who are you? What are you about? And it could be anything and it can change. Uh, And a lot of things can change. But I want to start with something very, very important because this one is for everybody. And that is, do you know what your top five values in this life are? That is a question I ask everybody. That is a question that comes in handy in situations like dating. Because if you know yourself, you can look across the table and ask the other person, Hey, what are your top five values in life? And just that information will let you know if you're sitting across the table from somebody with potential 
Or do you see the world so differently that it's easiest to admit on your first meeting? So, but the other thing it can help with is I, I found that defining your top five values in life. And just to be clear, they can be nouns like family, but they can be attributes like honesty. So everything's on the table because this is about you. This, the five values will be different. Five different people, they'll have five different values or maybe some overlap. So part of knowing yourself is understanding what you value in this world. For me, I value love, honesty, family, uh, a zest for life, and humor. Those are, I think that was five. I'm going with that. So what are you going to pass down to your children if you have them? As a father, a child looking up and understanding what his father values that's a beautiful thing because you'll be passing that information down. Now, maybe they won't be in their top five, but they'll be on their mind for the rest of their life. And it strengthens the relationship, even to know each other at that level, you and your kids, as you see the things they value coming into view. It also helps you build yourself up. You know, if you take your five values, and these are things that are most important, if you don't have boundaries or if you've ever struggled with boundaries, it's such an easy place to put your first boundaries. It makes the most sense to you. And you will say something if somebody is, if family is important to you and you're dating somebody and they say, you know, you spend a lot of time with those kids and I don't get to see you as much. You can easily say, hey, you know, those are my values and that comes with me. That's part of who I am. So knowing your top five values is a great place to start building this relationship with yourself. Understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. Now, that is not a static exercise for somebody. Your strengths could be developed and you could do something with them. Maybe they're just your hobbies or just some interests that you have, or maybe you develop them and create a business where passion overlaps with skill. But your weaknesses once you know them, they're never meant to stay where they are. It's okay to take a weakness and begin to work on it. And when I say weakness, it's not that you want to beat yourself up over it. It's just you would like to do that better. You would like to do something more efficiently. For me, organization is a weakness, and I am always attempting to improve in that area. So one of the ways you can do this, this is just a tip. Um, I tell people this and if they do it, they do it. And if they don't, that's their choice. But one of the things I like to do is I will journal and every Sunday after two weeks, I don't write anything unless something extreme happened that day. But what I like to do is go back and read the two weeks. I go back and look at what did I avoid? What patterns exist in my life? And if you do that enough, you will see those patterns in your life. And it gives you a great entry point to say, I need to work on that and to develop that part of you. So everything is being developed, not just for the sake of development, but to relieve anxiety. Because if you know that something you're not good at is causing anxiety, you can develop that in your life in order to calm your anxiety, um, frustration, just different negative emotions. Uh, so seek to overcome your weaknesses, and more of this will come up later. Um, and what are you doing 
about the things you fear. This is we're talking about a relationship with ourselves. Now we know if our kids have fears, you know, just to take the relationship external for a minute, we want them not to just say, "Oh, you know, you're afraid of the dark." Well, that's going to be tough for the rest of your life. So, uh, good luck with that. We don't do that. We work with them so they can move past that fear, and we owe it to ourselves to show ourselves the same love and attention that when we have something that's getting in the way, something as big as fear. To talk to somebody about it, to talk to a friend or a therapist or anybody, and find ways to calm that fear. Find ways, actually, find ways to to prepare yourself to jump into your fears. I always encourage people jump into your fears, unless you have like you know certain fears that you wouldn't survive. Um, but jumping into your fears, if you have a fear of talking to people, just saying hello to some people, start there. And then maybe a couple months later, hey, how are you? Or good morning, just to somebody walking by. We can work on these fears so they're no longer obstacles in our lives. Because it's really, it's really a difficult situation when you're trying to achieve something and fear is getting in the way. And you know that you could have this one thing, but what's built into that process may be something you're afraid of. So instead of doing it in those situations where it's more of a triage to yourself, while you're putting your time and energy into your own relationship with yourself, take a look at those hard things like fears and jump into them. Because the great thing about jumping into your fear is most of the time, even if it doesn't work out well, it doesn't work out as bad as it did in your mind. And that's and, and you can teach yourself that because you, if you show yourself that enough, you'll say, okay, I'm a little afraid of this, but I know if I do it, it's either going to work out fine or it's going to be something that wasn't as bad and I can attack it again. Because once you try it, you've learned something about that. You've learned what part of that process am I most afraid of? And you can start picking it apart, breaking it down in ways that are right for you. There's no time limit. There's nothing like that. It's just what's right for you. All right. Moving on to more about knowing yourself. What good things come to you naturally? People say, are you good with people? Are you an ear listen- are you a good listener? Are you a good speaker? Are you a good friend? Are you a good father? And these things that come natural, really take a look at, wow, how did I get so good at this? Does this just come natural? Did I have a good role model? And Understand that when the time comes and somebody needs that skill or that attribute, you're right there and you know you're good at it. It's not, it's not conceited to say you're good at something. You should know yourself and say, you know what? I'm pretty good at that. You mind if I get a uh, try at that? Or I can help you. As men, like it or not, there will be people that come to you for help. It's just a thing, whether it's a leftover something from back in the day or it's just that way. People will look to you and say, okay, you know, how can you help? And if you know what you're good at, you know where to offer your help. Um, And then this one for knowing yourself is pretty important to me, but it may not be important to everybody else. So I'm a big fan of philosophy. Philosophy takes information, whether or not you agree with it, right? Philosophy will be how wisdom comes into your life. Western philosophy kind of refines your critical thinking. Eastern philosophy kind of refines your relationship with 
the emotional and spiritual world. There's a lot more acceptance. There's a lot more debate in Western philosophy. There's a lot more acceptance in Eastern. But what's nice about this is that you can take information that you 100% don't agree with and you learn ways to engage it, to play with it, to break it down, to work through it. And at the end of that process, you may take a piece of that information and apply it to your worldview. And it is a maturing of the mind when you start understanding that much of mental health is philosophy. It's how you see the world. It's the, can you handle the information that's coming in? Um, I mentioned this because today we have, uh, we have more of a political ideology. So a political ideology, and this isn't going to be a political talk, but a political ideology has it all worked out for you and there's no wiggle room. And so if I put one political ideology on you and one on me, number one, the listening stops because we can't do anything with that information. We either agree or disagree. It's a very black and white way of thinking, and it's a cognitive thinking trap. And, the, and I'll show you an example of that. Um, on the right, you have an issue with life at the beginning and the end. One in the beginning wants to save life, and the other at the end, if you're a criminal, doesn't mind taking it. The opposite is true on the other side. So that ideology has a built-in argument just waiting for you to step on that landmine. But a philosophy, two people can discuss it. Two people can say, okay, but what if? And it becomes a discussion where you can retain the humanity in the other person. And maybe at the end of it, you don't agree at all. Maybe you're right back where you started, but there's no way you could have such a civil debate or a conversation and not look at the other person and, and at least be somewhat grateful for that and come away maybe respecting them more. And so you get more with a philosophy, with a worldview that has some flexibility. It's, it's okay to stay firm and confident, but it's also okay to keep your ears open, listen to new information and say, does any of that apply to me? Can I apply any of that? Or did I gain a greater understanding by hearing that person's thinking process and it matures you as a man. It's where we used to see the older people listen more than younger people do. Younger people talk more, but when an older person talks, and I don't know if it's been the same way for you, but I know in my life, I've had older people that when they have something to say, I'm all ears. I'm listening because they find that gray area that makes life sweet. It keeps life sweetness but it also allows you to carry a worldview and not just go around offending people, which is wonderful. All right. So that's, those are some ways to get to know yourselves. You're talking about your values, your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, what are you doing about the things that you fear and what good things come to you naturally? And my recommendation of getting to know yourself is really finding out what worldview you like and how to engage others to kind of really become more nuanced than you're thinking as you get older. All right. So that's knowing yourself. Now, the second one's pretty big. Um, I know a lot of men are affected by it, and I have some ideas about it that I'd like to share with you. And that is self-esteem. A lot of times, no matter where I am, what platform I'm in, um, whether I'm working with a client in my office, self-esteem always comes up. That's an absolute but for some reason, if confidence is an issue, obviously self-esteem is an issue. And we were taught about self-esteem in school, ironically. And self-esteem is funny because our world, if you stop and look around, is loaded with marketers. 
everywhere someone's trying to sell you something, get you to join something. And there's all these marketers and they create a deficiency in somebody and they fill that deficiency with their product. So if the background noise in everyone's life is that there are deficiencies with us, our self-esteem is constantly under attack. Of course, it's good for business, but it's horrible for, well, your self-worth or feelings, what you're feeling inside. So self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. And I'm pretty sure that when I lost my hair at 24 years old, there was no way in hell I was going to feel good about myself. It just wasn't the right time. It was, it was too much too soon. And, uh, and even how others feel about you can impact your self-esteem because you're human. You could say, yeah, that doesn't bother me. But on some level, it may get to you, especially if you've heard it before and you really don't like it. So there you go. Somebody else can control your self-esteem as well. It can easily be taken from you. Like I said, hair loss, a big old pimple right in the old forehead right before a date. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one to muster up that self-esteem unless you're okay with lying to yourself. And divorce. I've been through one in three quarters of them. And it's a knock to your self-esteem. I mean, you got this, somebody might be leaving you, you're losing stuff, your, your whole self-worth feels like it's in flux. So how do we save ourselves from this trap of self-esteem? There are going to be good days and bad days. Some days you're bulletproof and some days you're just a puddle on the floor. So we replace it with something you're more in control of, and that's self-respect. Now, this is going to be based on your values, your morals, your expectations for yourself in life. This leaves you in complete control of how you feel throughout the day and at the end of the day. And if you end the day, you didn't violate your self-respect, you could be proud, you feel good, and you're content. And you'll have plenty of opportunities to violate your self-respect. So let me unpack all this for just a second. So I have my morals, I have my values that I live by, and I've taken a new one on last summer. I don't drink. I just decided, okay. It, it just doesn't fit in my life right now. I have absolutely no opinion about it. I don't judge about it. And so I don't drink. That's my, that's my value or that's the way I want to show up in life. Now, I'll have plenty of time to practice this because it's pretty simple. Yeah. Everyone's going to offer me a drink if I go out, but I like to go out. So I have to say no. At the end of the day, I go home, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, you know what? You had a good time. You didn't violate your self-respect. Sweet. Some people want to make fun of me for not drinking. Well, that doesn't bother me because that tells me my self-respect self is intact. It's all intact. You're in total control of your self-respect. I mean, that means if you have a big pimple on the forehead, on the forehead it doesn't, I mean, yeah, you're going to feel like your self-esteem took a hit. But your self-respect carries you through the day. It's like, okay, well, I still have a job to do. I'm going to show up in this world with, with this. And at the end of the day, you look at yourself in the mirror and you look at the big pimple and you say, all right, guys, we did it. We made it through the day. We didn't violate our self-respect. If your boss talks to you, talks down to you, you could say, excuse me, I don't deserve to be talked like that. I can, I can hear a, a message just fine. And you're welcome to come give me some constructive criticism, but you don't get to talk to me. You don't get to yell at me in front of everybody. Like, I don't deserve that. And it's worth saying because people who, who keep their self-respect intact, that's all you're doing is just you're, you're making sure that people 
treat you like you treat yourself. Now, if you go around the office and you beat yourself up all the time, like, why am I so stupid? Why did I do that? Well, then they can, they can treat you like that. That's what they're watching. So self-respect is greater than self-esteem and it will impact your self-esteem because you'll naturally be more in control of how you feel. So it will take a lot more to knock you off. People externally cannot knock you off of your self-respect. Now, think back to when you were a teenager. Maybe you didn't want to do something and you got talked into it. You remember that feeling that you violated your self-respect. You didn't, maybe you didn't know what it was, but that feeling was you betraying the person you're trying to create. So I will tell you, your self-respect is powerful. It builds that relationship. It helps you enforce boundaries. It helps you carry yourself through life the way you want to show up. It becomes something you protect. And self-esteem, well, that's just something, that's like a byproduct. It's, you, it's not dependent on how you look and how you feel because you, can, you can't really fake how you feel. So my encouragement in a relationship with yourself is to put more emphasis on that self-respect and let go of self-esteem. It'll take care of itself. It, it always has been. You've been responding to it most likely. So moving on. Your relationship with yourself. Here's, here's something. Now, this is based on Jordan Peterson saying you should be a monster and you should have it under control. So I encourage people to make themselves uncomfortable because life is going to make you uncomfortable. It will, and everybody here knows it. But if you can practice being uncomfortable, if you can take that struggle into your own hands and get used to what uncomfortable is, get used to staying focused while you're uncomfortable, get used to thinking through things while you're uncomfortable, then the anxiety doesn't spike in discomfort on a busy day. You're like, you know what? I can handle this. I've, I've been stressed out before on my own accord. And some ways to do that is to exercise, obviously. Uh, physical stress, but learn a new skill. Really suck at something, but really be willing to do it. It's a very uncomfortable thing, especially if you want to do public speaking or something like that. So, you know, if you if you're doing public speaking, you know how you can imagine how fearful most people would be as they're getting ready to practice it. I know that when I learned hypnosis, asking people if I can practice on them. It was so awkward. I mean, all right, close your eyes and I'm going to talk into your ear for like the next 45 minutes. That's really weird. And it's, it's like really weird when they start doing things like maybe their hands start floating up and you're like, you know, I, I don't really know what's going on. You're giddy. You're laughing like a child, but it's uncomfortable, but you get used to it. And as you make your way through it and as you, yeah, as you make your way through these uncomfortable situations, what you're going to notice is confidence confidence. A lot of people come to me and say, I want to be more confident. And I ask them, what are you doing in your life? What are you doing? What are you achieving? What are you working on? Because confidence honestly comes most authentically from achievement or from working on things. Even if you haven't achieved it yet, as you get better, you can feel your confidence going up and it becomes second nature, just like walking. You know, one, there was a day where everybody was so proud of you that you could walk, but you don't even think about it anymore because you've done it so many times and anything you want in life, if you practice it enough, will come that naturally to you, but it takes time and it takes practice. And finally, you, 
as men. And this is, and I agree with this, and, and maybe some of you won't, but I, I'll try to unpack it enough to, so you at least understand why I agree with it. Have the ability to hurt people. Practice some kind of fighting. Be in decent shape because we all love somebody. And if that somebody was under attack and you're a harmless person because you thought, because you thought being a nice guy meant I don't even know how to fight. The person you love is in grave danger and you're just a witness to it. I never want to be in that situation with my kids. If somebody gets a hold of them, I want to be able to attack them and to dis- to stop the attack, basically, to end it. And if somebody is trying to fight me or possibly kill me, I want to have the ability to do that to them first. And it's one of those things where it's fine when you don't need it. You know, it's better to be, it's better to have that skill and not need it than to not have that skill and need it. Building that skill will build massive confidence because Nobody is really a threat to you. And even though people might be, you will feel like you could at least do something. If you feel like you can do nothing, you're essentially doing whatever they want you to do. So think about it because once you have that ability, when you can control it, in other words, when you're the last thing you want to do is fight, then people show you much more respect. They know you can fight. They know you could snap their neck, but you're a kind and gentle person. That message is powerful. When you walk in the room, people will take notice. Not that that's the goal, but what I'm saying is it draws respect. It's like that guy could kill us, but look how nice he is. Look him get on one knee and, and you know, engage his kids. It's amazing what happens when people know what you're capable of, but you have it under control. And, uh, Two more things here. Learning to communicate. This is a great one. I had to learn this the hard way quite often. Um, My advice would be refrain from being zealous about anything that somebody else isn't. Match the energy of the people you're talking to. Listen first to see who you're engaging. Because there's a lot of things, if you're too zealous, it'll destroy your credibility. And I always say that confidence often comes long before wisdom. Like you're going to say something to someone because you know it's the best thing for them. You heard them talk and you're like, you know what you need? You need this. And they're not ready to hear it yet. And you forget. It took you quite some time before you were ready to hear it. Your heart's in the right place, but you're preventing that person. If you would engage them, And first, meet them where they're at. Acknowledge where they're at and see if they want any information. And if they do, you can, you know, give it to them. But always keep in mind that your advice is only good for you. That that includes me. That includes what I do. I may give somebody some guidance and it may not work out. And they say, well, that didn't work and I didn't like it. Well, you know why? Because my advice is only good for me. But it's not bad to share it because people can take a piece of it. But the wisdom part lets you know when they're ready to receive that and what you can do to get them there. In other words, what kind of support you can give them. Uh, If they're going to try something, you think it's a bad idea, let them try it. How many bad ideas have you tried? It's it's just good to do that. And it matures you a little bit. Um, and, And keep in mind how far you've come. 
Uh, you can, like I said, you can be right and still not be heard. And that's frustrating to the person who believes they're right. Uh, half of conveying the truth is your, your delivery. Let people be ready to hear it. You know, uh, some people are never going to be ready to hear it. Do what you do. Say a prayer for them, whatever you do. But let them learn in time the way that you had to learn, the way that everybody learns. We often forget that when we're trying to teach and guide people. Um, be able to recognize when somebody stops listening to you. One of the most frustrating things to see is one person who's, who's wanting to just run out of the building and another person who won't stop talking about the thing that that person doesn't want to hear about. So this often happens when you're zealous about something, when you're over the top about it and you're not even paying attention to the biofeedback coming to you. That's like, wow, this guy's really interested in everything around me, but he hasn't looked at me once. It's crazy. Well, that means he doesn't want to hear what you're saying probably. And maybe change the subject or say, Hey, you know what? I got a little carried away. Uh, and then change the subject. Yeah, you had more to say, but you can't control other people. You can't make them listen. So, and then uh, I have to say, there's no frustration like having the answer, like having knowledge that would be helpful, but failing because you failed to communicate it effectively. You're really going to beat yourself up. You're, because every time you see that person doing that thing that you were trying to tell them, would help them if they didn't do it. You're going to remember it's, it's not necessarily their fault. Obviously it's theirs to take care of, but the reason they didn't get that information is because you failed to deliver it in a way that they could receive it. And everybody's different. So, and I just got one more thing that I'll leave you with. All of this is meant to do one thing. It's meant to make you the most authentic version of yourself. Now, I don't care what your goals are. You have to do life authentically. If you are authentic, if you write poetry, then own it. When you meet people, man or woman, you say, yeah, one of the things I like to do is write poetry. I like metal detecting and karaoke. And I'll do karaoke in my living room several times a week. And although that's not normal, as they say, I mean, karaoke is not abnormal, but the way I do it, is often, it's probably extreme, but I need people that know me to know how much I like it because there's going to be some days where that's what I'm doing and I don't want to hang out. And you might be like, really? This guy's avoiding me. No, he really loves to do that. And he does it to relax. You'll be surprised the impact that being authentic will have on your life. You don't have to pretend to be cool. You don't have to pretend to be anything. You're going to be honest. You're going to be authentic and your career, your relationships, so much more will thrive and flourish and everything will feel much, much less stressful because authenticity is, it's like a shield against anxiety and hurt because not a hundred percent, but it deadens the blow. If I meet somebody and I'm like, I'm interested in this woman and she says, well, I don't like the way you do karaoke all the time, or I don't like this metal detecting takes the whole day up. I'd say, well, metal detecting is not going to go away. And maybe you're not the right person for me. And let's say it doesn't work out. Well, that's fine. It was on my terms. I think a lot of the hurt that I've experienced in my life, and maybe you too, 
is from looking back and being rejected. And it was really, I was trying to put my best image forward. I, I, maybe I was hiding my garbage and I give you, I give you my best version and not like the one I worked on, but my best version I could come up with. And you walked away from that. And it makes you feel like you'll never get anybody because they're walking away from the cleaned up version of you. But something about that cleaned up version kind of sets the alarm off in some people. It's like too good, too perfect. But if you're authentic and you're like, yeah, I got some, some of this going on in my life, but this is good. And I got this and I love doing this. And whatever it is, you're speaking who you are. If you like collecting stamps, well, then that's authentic to you. You talk about it. Don't hide it just because you're afraid the girl won't like you collecting stamps. Talk about it. I mean, also go back to the last thing about communicating. If she's totally not interested, at least she knows, but maybe you want someone who would at least listen. So just keep in mind, uh, one more thing, relationships are not like jobs. You don't always have to have one. You can take a break. You can work on yourself. You can build that relationship with yourself. If anybody is treating you less than you treat yourself, it's okay to say something and let them know you don't deserve it. So I encourage you to start deepening that relationship with yourself. Start putting more time and energy into it and lower your own stress. Take up more space. It's okay. So we're going to move on to the question and answers. And I got the first question here is it says, I hear a lot about journaling. How do you recommend getting into the practice of it? Um, I'm probably, uh, uh, the way I journal is very much in line with my personality. I, I buy notebooks because they're cheap. And get like a five subject notebook and I just start writing some days. Let me tell you, I'll share something with you. I, I was in a dark place a couple times in the last year and a half. And some of the pages almost scratched into the page in big letters. It just says, I hate myself. And that's where I was at that night. I didn't judge it. I didn't beat myself up. I wrote that and I went to bed. The next day I wrote like five pages apologizing to myself and talking about and unpacking the situation that I was talking about. And it's an interesting thing. There's no rules for journaling. There's going to be a way that is most comfortable to you. Some people do it every other day. Some people do it once a week. Um, I try to do it every day, write a little something down. Uh, there's several things I like to do in my journal. But getting into it, basically the best way to get into something is have the desire to do it and then do it authentically to you. And then just keep, just keep bringing it up in your life and it becomes a habit, but do it in ways, you know, it's like a gratitude practice. If I tell you to write three things down, maybe you only have two that day. What are you going to judge yourself? You beat yourself up because, oh man, I can only think of two. Don't do that to yourself. Just write the two things down and move on. So whatever you want to put on that paper, whatever you want to get out of yourself, that's what you want to do. It's got to be authentic to you, but get a notebook, come up with it, and you might be surprised just what comes out of you. And after a while, you'll get used to it, especially since you're doing it your way. That's how you get the most buy-in. You do it your way. Um, the way I do it, again, is I do uh, two weeks of journaling, and then I go back and read those two weeks, and I get a highlighter, and I start to go back and find my patterns, find the things I want to work on, 
And that leads kind of into the next question. Somebody asked, how do I identify my blind spots? Well, journaling will help you identify those blind spots because generally there's consequences when you have blind spots. So you can say, I was in this situation and, and they got mad at me for this. And I didn't even realize I had done that. And then there you go. So what was happening that made you not realize? And, and the way to identify things in your life isn't to ask why, because that just gives you more of the stressful reasons, but to ask exactly how do I identify my blinds? How can I identify what I was thinking before that? And your brain will help you. Or what can I do differently so that that doesn't happen again? So you can ask yourself, what can I do? Or I wonder what I can do. Things like that are more productive in the mind. It, they stir more solution-based thoughts than, you know, why does this keep happening to me? Well, here comes more reasons. Oh my gosh, why am I thinking of this? Here comes more reasons. Like the anxiety is just going up and up and up. Let's see. Next question is, and I hope that answered your question. You can identify your blind spots. Journaling is, is definitely an awesome place to do it. Talking to an unbiased friend, listening when somebody has an issue with you and waiting until they're finished to, to understand like, okay, I'll take some of that. They were a little pissed. So I'm going to have to discard some of that, what they said, but this right here is important. Maybe I should work on that. And we all have blind spots. So the first step is being open to the fact that we have a blind spot somewhere and somebody else is going to have to either point that out, or we're going to have to do enough reflection to find those patterns happening. All right. The next question is, how can you rebuild self-respect, self-esteem after a traumatic event? The thing I'll tell you uh, that I learned in hypnosis, which has been a valuable, valuable lesson, is you have to de-traumatize first. We can't learn in a state of trauma. Trauma is like being locked into a, a repetitive loop and you're tranced out. Nothing sticks. And that's the frustration when people have experienced trauma. They feel like, I can't learn. I can't develop. I can't grow. Because we have to, as people, we have to calm the trauma. And some ways to do that, um, I know hypnosis works amazing for calming trauma because it's more of a processing of memory that still has the live emotion in it. It's why it feels like, um, it's like the way it feels like it happened that day or the day before. And you'll often hear a spouse say, you know, he's acting like this happened yesterday. I'm like, well, that's trauma, baby. That's that is what trauma is like. It is like it happened yesterday. And that emotion has to be drained out of it. And it lives somewhere between the subconscious and conscious. So it's very difficult to do on your own. And, uh, you know, I would recommend if you have a hypnotist in the area, or if you have more questions about how to de-traumatize, um, just reach out to me and I'd be happy to help you with that. But yeah, once you de-traumatize, you'll see everything else start to feel much, nat much more natural much easier. And then the last question is, is there, uh, yep. Is there a good way to handle intrusive thoughts, particularly about breakup or feeling hurt in the past? Um, one of the things I like to do just to start, and I'd be happy to, uh, give you more ideas after this, but just to start, start labeling your thoughts with, I deserve that. And I don't deserve that. So when someone's being there for you, when they're loving you, when they're supporting you, when you have that thought, think to yourself, I deserve that. When you have the thought of the hurt or if something was done wrong or you, or you were hurt because of something that you didn't deserve, make sure when that thought comes in, you tell it, I didn't deserve that. 
you do that enough, it'll get to your subconscious and hopefully start to break up that cycle, that pattern where the thoughts come out and attack you. Also remember that intrusive thoughts are only trying to hurt you. Um, if you attach to them, that's where they get dangerous because they become reality. There's going to be a lot of stuff, but I have a, um, whoever asked that there is several exercises that, that I would be happy to share. Um, basically that get you out of those lies that come and attack you in your mind because they're almost never true. So guys, I'm going to wrap this up, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on here and let me just put all this out there. I really hope you guys found some value in this. I hope that, um, you know, if you have any more questions, you can give me a shout. Uh, you know, my, my information is uh, www.victorymindset.net and you can email me on there. Uh, you see me in the chat, Invisible Man, I'm in there sometimes. Grab me, pull me in a DM if it's personal. If not, I'm happy to talk about it. Otherwise, I just wanna hear what you guys are doing in life. I wanna listen to you guys and, and learn more about the paths you're on. Um, my final thought is just be as authentic as you can be. Lean into that, your fears can evaporate, all these things. If anyone's ever done it, you can do it too.